Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 248. And with that, I want to use a stat that I saw in the U.S. Soccer Women's World Cup Media Guide uh, that really caught my attention. It's actually not a Women's World Cup stat. It is a all-time collegiate coaching record for U.S. head coach Jill Ellis. She has 248 wins from her time coaching at UCLA and also Illinois. So her overall collegiate coaching record is 248-63-14. So that's 248 wins, 63 losses, 14 ties. All right, two chats today, of course, about the 2019 Women's World Cup Tournament uh, for games played through Thursday, June 13th. First, I spoke with Utah Royals defender Becca Moros about which team she likes to follow during the tournament and how she felt about the USA goal celebrations in the game against Thailand. Then I caught up with former Mexican women's national team captain Monica Gonzalez, who's on a break from coaching with the Houston Dash while she calls women's World Cup games for Telemundo. So hope you enjoy these chats. And of course, the next several Mixone episodes will be very, very heavy on Women's World Cup. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Becca Moros from Utah Royals. Becca, um, how has your break been? You guys have been off for a little bit more than a week for NWSL. So that, that's got to feel a little weird mid-season. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, thanks for having me first, Jen. And um, it's nice to catch up with you since the last time I really got to, I was in Houston, which is a couple years ago now. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, the break's been really good. It's it's uh, better now that we have games to watch. Um, the beginning of the break, I got to go home and see my family in New York and just kind of relax a bit, do a little bit of, you know, soccer training on my own. Um, and then we've been back in Utah and, and training and catching the tournament and getting ready to play Sky Blue this weekend. Um, but it's always fun to have, you know, soccer all day, every day. So we're really enjoying the tournament so far. Oh, me too. I, I just, I wish it was like that every day where I just turn on the TV and there's, you know, high level women's soccer playing and not just, right, you know, yeah. seasonally or every four years. So, so are you one of the people on, on your team that, that watches a lot of soccer and has to encourage other people to watch or are you somewhere in the middle or what's your soccer watching? Um, um, you like? mean in general? In general. Um, I would say that, uh, I think that the amount of soccer that's being watched um, across the women's league has increased since I was playing probably my first season, 11, 11 seasons ago. I just think soccer's um, it's more attainable. It's on, you know, your regular cable channels. Um, it's easier to stream games. Um, yes. So there's a lot of people on my team that are watching all the time. We also have pretty veteran team with a lot of internationals um, from around the world and real soccer culture. Um, so we, we also have the advantage of having, I think we have nine TVs in our locker room, <laughs> team room, players lounge and um, training room. So there's soccer on a lot that definitely probably, probably makes it easier um, to catch stuff in between. Oh yeah. There's, there's soccer on the lunchroom too. So there's, I mean, there's a ton of soccer going on here. I am a junkie. I tend to watch, games I really like, particularly La Liga games. I'll watch them over and over again. Um, <laughs> so I, awesome. I do watch a lot of soccer, um, but I learn a lot that way. So I, I've been doing that for a long time. So initial thoughts going into this Women's World Cup. I mean, did you have any particular teams that that you were definitely going to set aside time to watch other than the USA or just like, I, I want to absorb all of it or how, how do you approach your, your world cup watching? Um, I always have teams I'm really interested in, obviously the U S being one of them. Um, just knowing all the players and, you know, coming from the same soccer culture and background, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm attached to their performances and I really enjoy watching them. And I also have some, you know, exceptionally good friends on the team who I, you know, personally want to do well. Um, right. And then, you know, I'm, I'm always passionate about watching Japan play. Um, I, I think they've had a hard time repeating the level that they got to um, in 2015, I think. Um, but, 
you know, they're always, I just love the way they play. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of theirs and I always, I always try to watch them. Um, I got a good, a good friend who is a teammate in, in Japan who plays for South Korea. So I've been excited to see her play. She's playing in Chelsea now, Jisoo Yoon. She's excellent. Um, I was raised by a Jamaican coach. So my soccer family is Jamaican. So I was really excited <laughs> to see the Jamaicans take the field. Yeah. So I'm seriously was rooting for the reggae girls will be all tournament. Um, I always like watching Brazil. I, you know, it's like a common conversation in women's soccer circles that if uh, the Brazilian Federation would just support their team, they would just be I know. a powerhouse. It's, yeah, that, that's like um, so, the, yeah. one of the best women's soccer cliches. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's like a conversation. Like It's like it's a new conversation every every international tournament. We're like, oh, well, if, you know, Brazil would <laughs> if support only. their women's team. Yeah, for the last 15 years, we've been saying that. Um so, yeah, I mean, those are some of the teams that obviously France is exciting um, as a host team and just being, you know, their league has, has been so dominant for, for many years in Europe with producing top teams um, and bringing in top talent from other countries. Um, and that that's huge. And that's, I think that's the biggest thing I'm noticing at the beginning of this tournament is just how many teams have really good players um, and look, look, um, you know, organized and disciplined and, and professional in that way. Um, so, you know, you can just see the development of women's soccer around the world. And I, I know, especially when you look at the women's national team, there's a tendency to feel like in, in many ways we've made it, even if the pay equality is, is not one of the ways we made it. Um, you know, you look at them and you really feel like we've made it. Um, in other places, that's not the case. And even here, that's not really the case. I mean, I coach little kids all the time and the better coaches are on the boys' side, 100%. So the women who are getting to the top are definitely having to really push for elite opportunities um and get elite training and be exposed to the level that these women have to play at um to be eligible for these teams in these tournaments so um it's we're nowhere near having made it even though there are a number of things that we've like milestones and accomplishments i think we've we've passed by some of the things that we really had to fight for earlier but um you know, the level of women's soccer around the world is just apparent that more women are playing. Uh, there's more top leagues and more opportunities for people to go compete um, and, and become better and better pros. And it shows up, you know, in the quality of the national team plays as well. Well, and I'm glad you brought up professionalism because as I'm watching this World Cup, even just compared to last tournament, I'm seeing more teams have player names on the back, not just numbers. More teams have true custom kits. Uh, you know, you can see all the the detailing around the stadiums and the, the formality and how it's treated as, you know, it's a real full level FIFA tournament. Um, not that it hasn't always been that way, but one of the things that sticks out to me is that other than Germany 2011, this tournament has always been staged as double headers, you know, to save money. And so it's nice to see in France return to every single game is a standalone game. Every single game is aired at a different time. Unlike we had some games airing at the exact same time in the group stage in Canada. So you couldn't watch two at the same time. You know, so that you can tell like there's a little bit more thought going into, you know, the, the, the structure of the tournament. Um, of course, there's still a lot of uh, deficiencies, um, which, you know, I don't even need to get into some of the ticketing hiccups or one of my favorite beefs that, yeah, the FIFA online store has been classified closed for the last several months and doesn't look to be reopened anytime soon. It, it's, it's like, would you do that right before a men's world cup? Don't think so. You know, and one of my favorite deficiencies to bring up, there's, you know, no communications director for the end of a cell right now. So of course our league can't even, you know, have someone actively working to take advantage of this wonderful media bump. But all that being said, I love that you, like the production value that we're seeing on Fox. And of course, you know, full disclosure, I'm doing stats for Fox, but, you know, to see such a great mix of former national team players of all different countries, you know, Kelly Smith and Karina LeBlanc and Heather O'Reilly, it's, it's like, it's not like if you go back and you watch the the videos from 99 or even 2003, they just didn't have a lot of that. They had a little, but this is like, wow, this is full blown, you know, on set in Paris. Not a lot of broadcasters do that for the women's side. And, and especially having seen the broadcast set up in Moscow firsthand last summer and seeing, you know, a hundred different broadcasters setting up in this, you know, 
three huge buildings that's the International Broadcast Center. It's like there's not an equivalent like that for the Women's World Cup because not all the rights holders bother to come to, you know, the country that's hosting and make a big deal out of it. So I love seeing that, you know, Fox just makes a bigger and bigger deal out of it each time. Yeah, and and the perspectives are are varied, which I think – you know, in the past, you kind of used one or two commentators or, or uh, pundits or yeah. whatever. You know, you, you're just hearing the same voices over and over again. And, you know, they're focused on certain things. So as a, as a professional soccer player watching the game, being interested maybe in something other than what they're talking about, um, it is nice to hear so many different voices uh, coming in with different, different, you know, different cultural backgrounds. So they're paying attention to different things. Um, they're admiring different players. So it's, it's not just the you know, a U.S. soccer forward um, group of voices, uh, it, you know, you're getting real insider perspective from other, you know, other countries, top players. So I, I agree with you. That's been, it's been really, I mean, normally I mute the things and I've listened to um, <laughs> a lot of the commentating and the in-between, yeah. you know, dialogue has been really interesting as well. And normally I, I don't listen to that stuff usually because it's, um, there's a dis- disconnect usually, um, and this, this there is absolutely no disconnect. I mean, you have people who really know what they're talking about, know the different leagues and players around the world, um, know the different countries and styles, and uh, it, it's really interesting to listen to them talk for sure. And well, like you mentioned, that it's it, it's easier to get streams of, of these games and, and watch women's soccer. It's it has been a little bit easier to get information on on those leagues and to be more informed about players. I mean, really our, our last frontier of being able to get reliable, consistent information for women's soccer is really Africa, you know, where, um, you know, FIFA wasn't even able to release official caps and goals for, for Nigeria and Cameroon, you know? Wow. So, yeah. So it's like, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and, and you might want to call gender foul on that, but Hey, having been in the broadcast center last year at Moscow, there were some of the same issues that, uh, you know, FIFA felt that a lot of the, the, the numbers coming out of the African federations were somewhat unreliable. And I learned last year, I was surprised to learn that FIFA itself doesn't track that info. They're only going to track numbers related to you playing in a FIFA tournament, which would be Olympics or World Cup qualifying. They are not going to bother tracking otherwise. Huh. So I, I always assumed busy, that, huh? Yeah, I always assumed that there was, you know, somebody... Someone sitting in a room not, with not, FIFA just, just conscientiously check it. Yeah, clearly, clearly there's not enough money in the bank account. So so uh, let's get let's move on, of course, to the, the US women. You know, big win yesterday, breaking all kinds of ridiculous records, so much so that I, I was so fried after the game just trying to keep up with that stat wise, <laughs> because we have like several group texts and email threads going during the game and I'm 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 communicating with uh, the graphics guy who's based in LA you know and then the studio set in Paris and then the stat guy who's in stadium with JP and Allie so it's just like I was like and the last time we scored 12 was this and the last like I couldn't even get to the last time we scored 12 goals and then they scored 13 it was just like you know, uh, it was a very different experience for me to watch a, a U.S. Women's World Cup game that way. This is the first time for me to watch a World Cup game while I am working a World Cup game for the right. women. Um, and that was just like that. That was insane. I frankly, I expected that Thailand would be a little bit more solid having watched them hold France 3-0 in a friendly two weeks ago. I didn't expect they'd score. I didn't expect they'd keep it that low, but I thought maybe five zero, maybe six zero. I thought it would be better than when the U S scrimmaged them three years ago. Clearly I was wrong, but uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on the game? I mean, take it, take it as two halves. So first, first half, three goals could have been four when one was, was off. Um, and then you come out and just have that blowout second half, but you as a player watching that game, what are you seeing? Well, it's it's an outstanding start for the U.S. Um, and you know, they they being the number one team in the world, and and time and time again, I mean, they have so much pressure on their backs. Everything is theirs to lose. So, you know, coming in and and scoring three goals in the first half, I and mean, maybe that's just the monkey on the back. You know, like you get it off your back, and now you're just going to go play in the second half because you're not worried about 
are we going to show up? We've shown up already. Tournament started. Nerves are gone. We're relaxed. Like now we're having we fun. Yeah. Yeah. And and I just, I, I think it's an outstanding start for them. I don't, I, you know, I know the arguments about uh, running up the score and a variety of things. And some people find that to be, you know, unsportsmanlike, but you know, this is the biggest tournament in the world. It is once every four years. This, you are here to win. You are here to send a message. You are here to break records. You know what I mean? Like if, if five goals in that game means that Alex Morgan has the golden boot at the end of the tournament, you're suggesting that she should maybe not score some goals and then not get the golden boot at the end of the t- I mean, that's ridiculous. So it's, it's not amateur sports. It's professional sports. There's a ton of money involved. Um, and the rules and are designed. Huge the rules are the rules are designed to encourage running up the score because you're actually right. when it you're when it's when it's group play. play yeah when it's group play yeah. goal differential can come into play and this is where I think we hit a wall with uh, a lot of American fans who only pay attention to soccer around World Cup and maybe Olympic time. Um, you don't really have another sport that that does this uh, group and then you know, group play and then knockout round. So, you know, every now and then I still get the question from some, from someone like, what do you mean the game can end in a tie? <laughs> it's like, well, this is the yeah. group stage, <laughs> you know? So when I say no goal differential, time. yeah. When I say goal differential, people are like, what, what? I was like, okay, well, if it's tied at the end of the round robin play at this group, then that's how they decide who goes on. And when you look at this group and we've never had a group this week, you know, um, that it's really two really weak teams, a worthy opponent in Sweden. So we could, it, we could very likely, you know, what if we tied Sweden? Well, then it's, you know, assuming that we've both beat the other two teams, it's going to come down to goal differential, you know? Right. Um, so you right. have to think about that. And I like that you mentioned the golden boot too, because I think back to Harry Kane last uh, tournament, I think he had four, in, in one of their group games against a, a very weak African opponent. And no, no one's gonna, no one's gonna take that away from him. And, you know, I mean, we were even joking at the time. It's like, yeah, he's probably going to get the golden boot if, even if he doesn't score anymore. Cause he had six total at that point and he didn't score anymore, but bottom line, he goes down, you know, forever. It's like, Harry Kane was golden boot. You know, if like I said, if Alex Morgan ends right, up with the golden right. boot, that's a huge thing for her, for us soccer, for the team to promote. It's like, once again, an American has the golden boot, you know, that, that kind of stuff. It's, it's huge. And it reminds me a lot too, of world cup qualifying fall 2013. The men had qualified with one game to go and they're playing Panama. And a lot of people said they should throw that game so that Mexico would be eliminated, you know, let Panama win, Panama would get in, Mexico be eliminated. And it's like, these people aren't wired that way. If you're a competitive athlete, professional athlete playing at that high of a level, you're wired, you're trained, you know, to play at the best of your ability the whole time. And these are players who, at that time, they were fighting for a spot on the, on the roster. So you can't do this. Right. Oh, we'll be nice this time. It's like, it sounds like a nice well, storyline. Your competitive but it, mentality. Too. Yeah. Like you yeah, could show I, up in the next game with the wrong mentality. I mean, you don't, you, yeah. these people, I mean, they put their socks on the same way every day. They eat the same game day meals. They get up the same time. They listen to the same music. They do the same stretching routine. I mean, this is it's like a ritual. A, yeah. And it's muscle, it's muscle memory and, and psychology. No. Yeah. And no. you can see, yeah, I wouldn't. like you were talking about the, you know, getting the monkey off their back that you could see just the pure joy of scoring uh, for all of, for all of the U S players yesterday. Um, especially the ones where it was their first world cup, because I think we've already gotten used to seeing Haran and Mewis and Pew um, and even Lavelle a little bit on the, on the roster, but it's like, no, this is a first for all of them. And they got to score in their first world cup. That's, that's amazingly exciting. Um, My only complaint is this. It's not about the celebrating. It's not about the number of goals. It's that if, if we're up this high, why, why does Carly Lloyd come in when here is a perfect opportunity to give someone who um, does not have any World Cup experience some minutes? And I'm thinking, you know, Jessica McDonald, because you never know who you're going to need when. You so rarely get those opportunities to give somebody minutes in a 
in a World Cup situation, you know, and we've heard Jill Ellis say it a lot. It's like, you know, it's hard to give them these these minutes. Like, all right, you're up in your first game. You can afford to put in somebody else. Um, now, I, I, I would think if, if I was talking to Jill Ellis that her argument would be, it's like, no, I want to keep Carly, you know, in the groove. You know, she's she's been in good form. But I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? That if you're the coach... And your team's up um, five or five or six zero. Are you not changing your game plan at all, or are you like, hey, here's an opportunity? Well, I have two, two responses to that. I don't think the U.S. has any weak players on their bench. So I think if you if you bring Jess McDonald in, there's maybe she scored three goals, and you know what I mean. So right, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be less. I yeah, I but I right. was just thinking, here's an opportunity that that was missed because Jess doesn't hasn't played in it played in a world cup so then you oh, get gotcha. those minutes you don't belt. mean anything to do with the score line you just mean no you're just no. talking about jill's substitution pattern yeah i got you yeah. um yeah. I, so the thing for me is that the u.s national team has to it, it is well every professional team but the u.s national team is it's an incredibly competitive, ruthless environment, right? People, you are right. fighting tooth and nail to make one of those contract spots. Then right. you go into a game and you've got to be on the same team as the person who maybe is going to like, you know, bump you out of a spot the next game. So right. for them, I think the only viable system for them is a meritocracy. So whoever is playing best needs to play. Anytime you start to get into this situation where, oh, this person gets this and this person gets that and this person never gets, you know, called out for the things they don't do right. When you have an extremely competitive group of people together and you start having things like that, that can be cancer for a team. So I don't know what the team dynamics are. I don't know. Maybe Jess McDonald is outplaying Carly right now for all I know. I have no clue. But in terms of how I would choose to do substitutions, if you're going to substitute, you know, your strikers or, or even your midfielders or, you know, positions where you're thinking, okay, these people, these, this is my starting lineup. These are the people who come in. I put my next person who's going to come in. Whoever's the next person who's playing their best, I would put them in. If you're telling me, oh, well, you know, we have two center backs and if this center back goes down, we actually don't have somebody. So let's make sure this person who's going to be that person to go in who has no experience has some minutes. I could kind of see, you know, okay, this is a positional thing. Like if this person were to go down, we don't have someone right. to replace them. So we need to make sure this rookie who's going to go do that um, gets a little experience or somebody who's, you know, normally plays on the left might end up coming in on the right. I don't know. But a lot of that stuff you would think that, especially the U.S. who is trained, you know, 25 times more than the other teams in the in the world and performing in this tournament that they've had chances to kind of like go through that and try different formations and try different people and give people experience. And I know there's no stage like the World Cup stage. So in that sense, I think you're right. Uh, giving people who you think you might need um, opportunities to get some minutes. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I come in off the bench when it's already 9 nothing or 6 nothing or 7. I mean, it's a different mentality than if you were to come into a game and it's 1-1 and you're being put in a game to win the game um, or you're right. one nothing and you're coming, coming in to change the game. So I'm not sure it would have given them a feeling. It definitely would have given them a World Cup cap um, and that experience and opportunity to say that I, I, I played in it. But I'm not sure in terms of the competitive mentality um, what the best way – to do it is, but I def I definitely think if you know if someone's playing better than someone else and you go put that first person you know the person who's not playing as well in um, you know that that's kind of a everybody else knows <laughs> so well and I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because you know I I think we we saw a little bit of that in the the previous World Cup and I think you know one of the the smartest things that Jill Ellis did however she did it was convince Abby Wambach or, or at least make Abby Wambach understand it's like, you know, you, you can't start, you know, it's like your, your body's not holding right. up. We need you. We need you, but not in a starting role, you know, and once they adjusted the starting lineup in 2015, you know, they, they hit their groove. Um, and, and so I, I believe that, you know, what, what you're saying, it's like, it really should be a meritocracy. I like how you're saying that it's like, it's such a competitive environment. You can't have, well, so-and-so is do this and well, so-and-so deserves this. It's like, no, this is who's playing best right now. And I was, I was so excited 
when the lineup came out yesterday to see that not only was Haran starting, but Mewis was starting too in the middle because it seems yeah. like most most of the spring Jill was doing an either or, and it's like why not both? They're both playing so well. I agree. And it you know so so I was, I was yeah. like yay. You know, <laughs> or maybe she was just hiding no, that sure. all season, you know, because, <laughs> uh, you know, when, when they lost to France in January, and so we were panicking. It's like, well, you probably don't want to give anything away to the host country <laughs> that you might end up facing in the quarterfinals, <laughs> you know? So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, I guess it has to be a, a chess match. And, um, and I think, you know, most of us watching, don't know what it's like to be in an incredibly competitive environment like that, where these are your friends, but these are also people whom you're fighting against for a paycheck. And that's just oh, got to yeah. be such, such an incredibly tough cauldron. And then you add like the media attention and the travel and the world cup buzz. And I'm loving how big the buzz has been pre-tournament. I was really surprised to see that sports illustrated went all in and did the seven covers, um, seven different covers yeah. before, before the tournament. Um, you know, that, that you're, and, and seeing that the ads aren't just Alex Morgan ads, which they definitely were last time around. I think there were three or four different ones that just focus on Alex seeing way more team ads. So Crystal Dunn's getting some time, Kelly O'Hara's getting some time, Julie Ertz is getting some time that you see. It's like, there's so much potential, um, in all of these players to kind of, get that additional exposure. But for you as someone who has played 11 competitive seasons as a pro, and then you throw college and and all that in there, um, you know, how do you, when you, when you're watching, do do you ever think it's like, I wish that were me or, or if I was coaching, I would have told them to do this. Or can you just watch as, as just a hardcore soccer fan? Um, I would say all of the above. Um, I don't think there's any <laughs> professional player who doesn't want to play for their national team and wish that they had that they would have that opportunity. Um, I never had an opportunity with the full national team, um, and so I, I can't. I don't know how I would have done there. Um, so I don't look at it thinking, "Oh man, I should have been there. I would be better than this person or that person." I don't know. It's its own beast. And some people, you know, thrive there and some people don't. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that, you know, I I don't know. There's, there's a lot of different ways to, to talk about it. Um, But yes, of course, I would have loved to have opportunity to compete. Um, And um, I think every professional player aspires to that. Um, And so I I really respect uh, these players and how much they've had to, to put in to get there. And, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's so much luck involved in all of our careers as well. Um, you know, to make, I'm 34 now and to make it this long, I mean, there's so much luck involved in, in being a durable player that can play for that long and, and have not had, you know, too many injuries or this, that, or the other, um, or to have a bad spell with a couple coaches who you don't fit in with or whatever, you end up not, not getting in a team and then you have a hard or time. Or constantly, constantly moving. I mean, I, I made sure to note on one of our broadcasts recently, and it's like, Hey, this is the first year that Becca Moros hasn't had to move. Yeah, in a while. <laughs> she's, yeah. She's sure. with the same, the same team as the year before. <laughs> It's true. And some people might not think that's significant, but I, you know, that that's significant. You know, especially when you move from Kansas City to Utah wasn't because you changed rosters so much as of course, you know, one team holding and another team starting. But that's that, that's yeah, a gets moved. There's only so much you can do. And that's happened to me twice. Um, I played two yeah. years in DC and then the team was bought and moved to Florida. So, um, you know, those kinds of things happen, um, especially earlier in leagues, sort of, you know, the earlier in the league, then the more things get switched around regularly right. once the teams are established, um, that starts to happen less. But I certainly think as a young player, being in one environment with one team for my first three seasons, uh, even though the team was bought and moved, um, was such a big thing. I see so many young players getting moved multiple times in their first couple years and not being invested in and not knowing how to do that well, not knowing how to deal with the stress of moving every six months. I mean, that is an unbelievable stressor. Um, it's just, it's outrageous that 
that happens to young players um, before they've even had a chance to sort of establish themselves and, and learn the level of the league and, and figure out how they're going to improve and how to compete. So that is not an easy thing to do. Um, and again, that plays into luck. Uh, like there is a lot of luck um, that goes into who makes it and who doesn't. Um, yeah, who drafts you, who the coaches at the time. Yeah, oh, so yeah. many different factors. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I got first first got traded to Kansas City, I had been admiring Kansas City's the team the entire season. So when someone was like, uh, and when I come back from Japan, Kansas City was on my list of places I didn't want to go. So, <laughs> you know, like everything flipped over. I was in Japan. I love my team as a possession team. I'm like, shoot, I'm going to leave one of the best possession teams in the world. And I don't know what's going to happen on the, you know, this team that I, whatever team I end up on in the U.S. And I said, there's a couple teams I don't want to play for, this one and this one. Just that location. Hadn't really gotten to see enough of them play. And I, Kansas City was on my absolutely no list. There's only two teams on it. And, and then the next year, by the time I'd watched them play a whole season and beat Seattle in the finals, I'm like, shoot, this is the team I, I belong on. And then I got traded there. That's lucky. I could have ended up on one of any of the other teams and been like, man, I just totally ended up in the wrong place. And that, that was yeah. just pure luck, um, you know? And so it's, there's so many things you could say about it. Um, but ultimately, to make it, there's a ton of resilience, a ton of grit, a ton of all these things. And these national team players embody all of that. I mean, they are fighting through things off the field that is, could be a total distraction and prevent you from playing well. Um, yeah. And that they're playing, you know, I mean, there's just so much stuff going on. Um, and then and then all these players are branding and marketing themselves because as they've pointed out that U.S. soccer is not spending that much time marketing them. You know, if someone's going to market the men, you know, do a, a push through Nike, probably more men get those top spots than women. And maybe that's been changing. And, and Nike, I know Adidas has done a lot to try to change that um, within Adidas. But, um, you know, these players have to market themselves and if, yeah. to make a good living, you know, and that's, that's important. Um, they you know, they, they are huge celebrities. It's just that that publicity falls on them. So there's all kinds of things that they're juggling. Um, and I think you could see that in the way that they celebrated each of the goals. You know, they're on the field, they're playing, there's huge yeah. buildup. And, you know, 13 goals later, they could be like a machine and be like, oh, it's Thailand, we expect to score. No, you celebrate every single goal you score. You, 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 the you saw the joy. The that, that's how I looked at it. It's it, it's like when there's been so much pressure on their shoulders, and and you know they're so hungry coming off that that 2016 quarterfinal exit in, in the Olympics that it and and a lot of struggles this this spring. Um, so that just got to feel so good. Of like, let's get this tournament started. They played the last game of the first round of games, so they're like, we want to play, we want to play. So, yeah. So I look at those those celebrations and I, I mostly see just joy and a little bit of relief of like, yeah, we're here. We're getting this done. Let's get this started. Well, Becca, thanks so yeah, much for, for taking sure. the time to chat. I hope you enjoy watching uh, the rest of the tournament and good luck on the rest of the season. Thanks for having me again. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Monica Gonzalez, the the woman of many titles. And one of the ones we're going to use today is, of course, former Mexican national team captain. Uh, We can also say Houston Dash assistant coach, though that's on hold right now because, of course, your most important title at the moment is you are calling games for Telemundo. You're calling Women's World Cup games. So, Monica, tell tell me how, how you got that gig. Um, well, first of all, hello. Thanks for having me. Hello. <laughs> uh, um, well, I love, I, got, I had a chance to do uh, color commentary, um, you know, game analyst with uh, Telemundo for the Youth World Cups uh, 2016 mm-hmm. uh, when Dana Castellanos broke out, um, you know, scored some amazing goals against Mexico, which I forgive her for because of how amazing they were. Uh, but I do enjoy, um, being a game analyst and, you know, as fortunate as I was to work with ESPN in 2011 and, uh, Fox in 2015, I'm, you know, I'm just grateful that uh, I have employment because there are obviously a lot of positions as players, um, as, as much as they're fought for. Um, but there's not a whole lot of TV, you know, broadcast in women's soccer. So, um, you know, the United States has, about 23% of the population speaking Spanish. 
And I would say at least 80% of those uh, soccer is their number one sport. Right. So, um, you know, so far it's been, it's been good. Uh, I think that Telemundo has uh, done more and more over the years with women's soccer. And um, they have probably half the people on staff and doing production with Copa America right now, lots going on. Uh, but it's been awesome. Well, that's, that's so cool that, that you get to do that. Of course, you don't get to be in France, but so you're in Miami calling off of monitors, right? Um, yeah, if you want to call it that, but you know, don't want to give everyone out all the secrets. Two <laughs> <laughs> different kinds of headsets. Yeah, we're on set. Telemundo just had, uh, they've been about a year in their new studio. So everything is top of the line. And um, I particularly love the make, hair and makeup people. I get the same ones that do all of their telenovelas. Um, you know, oh, they nice. dress me up. They're giving me wardrobe. I can't nice. take any credit for that, but um, it's it's just great to be, I would say, on the front line, so to speak. Um, it's also, yeah. you know, a big responsibility to make sure that I get the information uh, right and to get the most uh, pertinent in- information for the audience and for the people who care. And it must be challenging when you don't have Mexico in the tournament, um, you know, for Telemundo to package it so that it's, it's, it's still of interest to the, to the viewers. I mean, you, you know that Telemundo could have chosen to not invest much in it because Mexico didn't make the tournament. So it's great to see that, you know, it's not just you they're pulling in, but also Janelle Farias and it looks like they've got a, a studio or a set um, in Paris and, right. You know, so it's it's really heartening to, to to see that. But so we're about what a week into the games. What what has surprised you so far about the tournament? Um, surprises, surprises. I think um, I would say Cameroon on the first game. You know, I was expecting South Africa, the 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 um the African teams. I think Nigeria was hasn't been very strong. Um, but they've gone, um, you can see some adjustments, right, from having a Swedish coach that maybe they were, like, thinking too much about X's and O's and not just, you know, playing with their heart and their instincts. Um, so I would say that, you know, Nigeria is a team you always kind of expect in their third game to spoil somebody's party. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe Japan. Um, they're always going to be a good, you know, strong side, but – you know, when are they going to be able to score those goals when it matters? Um, I enjoyed the France game very much. I enjoyed watching France play. Uh, and I I think that, you know, they're the favorites in my mind right now. Uh, but as far as like surprises, surprises, you know, Australia losing. Um, what disappointed me, it was sad, but I love that they came back in the game today. Um, you know, they yes. showed their grit, they showed their heart. They showed their fitness, their work, their teamwork. Um, and I think in many ways, the Australian World Cup, like, has just begun, you know, because they can take that momentum and ride it all the way through. Definitely. Definitely. And then what do you think about, um, you know, match like USA against Thailand, 13-0, um, yeah. not really going to ask about the celebration so much as just like, you know, that's got to be so challenging to have such, such a spread in rankings of teams so that, you know, in some ways you, a blowout's almost unavoidable, you know, and I'm sure you've yeah, I mean, been on, like on both ends of that. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think, I think Megan Rapino said it perfectly today. I thought the segment where she and Alex came on was awesome. Um, you know, if you haven't seen it, go back and watch it for sure. Um, those yeah. Are listening to this and the way that, uh, you know, Pino described it, it's like, you know, I kind of think that's on FIFA. If, if we beat the team, you know, we're, we can, we can get, make their morals go down, but we're not going to make them better, you know? And the, my favorite part of all of that was, um, was seeing, you know, how Carly Lloyd was consoling the goalkeeper and how, you know, Alex Morgan, you know, these players don't have to take time and go over and speak to the other team and just be like, you know, sorry, we had to do that, but we had business to do. And, you know, you guys are just, you know, part of the competition and the way that, you know, the goalkeeper came back and things that she said, I think um, I don't have any problem with what they've done because 
the way that the tournament is scheduled, you know, the way that the rules are, 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 um, you know, in place, you have to pay attention to goal differential. You know, right. I don't think that Jill in the locker room said, let's go out and get 20 goals. You know, I just think that she mentioned, you know, that point probably, or maybe not, but the team seems to have a chemistry that I haven't picked up on or hadn't picked up on, but you hear right. the players talking about it and, you know, that those celebrations are, or just, it just kind of came out of them. I think that, um, you know, four years ago, the team maybe wasn't the, the you know, the tightest team. Um, I think for me, the question right now with this U.S. team is when things get tough, who's going to be that leader that gets them through it and that puts everyone back on the same page, you know, that yells at somebody if somebody needs to get yelled at. Um, you know, that's my only question about, this U.S. team right now and um, you know I have or have predicted or have been saying for a couple weeks or a couple months actually that I feel like this U.S. team is going to have the worst finish they've ever had you know and I don't want to be a pessimist it was just my feeling um, Mm -hmm. related to you know the leadership stuff and the fact that if you go and you make a list of all the players that are not on the team, um, Abby, all her goals, all the players that left and their goals, it's like seven players. Um, Since 2015, you mean? 315 goals. Yeah, from 2015 to now, just take the ro- take the players off the roster that, you know, aren't back anymore and add up their goals and then add in the goals of the players that now are on the team that weren't four years ago, which is a turnover, right? But they lost 315 goals. So that's experience, experience in World Cups, it's experience all around, but it's goals as well. Um, and then to come out and score 13 goals, you know, kind of <laughs> makes, makes me put my foot in my mouth. But you know, the argument still stands when they play Sweden. Um, you know, we'll see. And they've had a, a bunch of difficult games this year that they didn't have the results they wanted, but that's why Jill programs those games into their schedule, you know, and then softens the schedule up right before the World Cup because that's when they're working on, you know, their their finishing, their, um, like, where they put their blocks, their defensive formation. They're working on more detailed stuff, so they don't necessarily want, you know, to have a, a game where somebody could potentially get hurt, you know, so it's worked for them in the past. Um, but that's sort of my, that's about all I got to say about the U.S. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, their response <laughs> to how they, they're not just winning 13-0. My, my first gut feeling was they're insecure. They had to come out and got all these goals to try to scare everybody off, you know, try to make a statement um, because they know that their enemies don't fear, the, fear them that much right now. That was right. my thought about it. But, you know, hearing Alice and Rapino talk, I think they have a good point. You know, this is that 13-0 differential isn't the U.S.'s problem. It's FIFA's problem. Yeah, I How thought that was an excellent point. I thought that was an excellent yeah. point by Megan Rapino. It's, it's like, yeah. well, if you, if you have games like this, what does that tell you? It tells you that these federations and these confederations are not supporting their, their teams. FIFA's not putting right. money into the game, you know. And, well, and we've, we've seen that when, you know, that there is investment in programs, you've seen a program get so yeah. much stronger. Mexico's, uh, you know, youth league is a product of FIFA Forward, which wasn't part of the FIFA reform. It wasn't part of FIFA 2.0, but it stayed. It was something that didn't get, you know, cut out. So I guess you know, this that made a homework assignment for me, which is to look up, go back to my notes on FIFA 2.0, and just try to investigate how much of of that has FIFA, you know, um, completed. In the past four years, you know, what yeah. exactly have they done? How much have they spent? Have they gotten closer to that, what is it, 53 million or billion youth <laughs> uh, players that they wanted, you know, to, to get worldwide? And, and it's a good point, too, to bring up initiatives like that because there's so much fanfare when they're announced. Um, and, and I feel like FIFA and, and CONCACAF does this, too, where it's like, oh, we had this symposium about women's football. Isn't that great? look what we did for it's football. It's like, no, it's, it's a day in day out kind of thing. What, what's being done every week, every day, every month, every year, just like men's soccer, you're not going to see any growth 
you know, unless it's a regular consistent thing and not this, look, see what we did. Look, see, we're helping women's football. It's like, it's, it's not yeah. a check it off your list so you can say you've done it. And right. you know, when, when I see some of the growth in, you know, your more leagues and, uh, you know, Australia's league is, is strengthening slowly, you know, Mexico adding add the league. But in general, I, I look at CONCACAF and, you know, every four years we're going to have the same qualifying issue, you know, where there's just a couple of teams that are going to get beat yeah. down. I mean, you, you look back at last fall and Canada and, and USA both qualified by beating team 6-0-7-0. And, yeah. Yeah. That's not, that's not Canada's that fault. That's not the USA's fault. That's, yeah. That's Vancouver just. When Pia got in all that trouble and she's like, well, we'll just call. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how it works. Yeah. So, um, so mo- moving on to, um, you know, what you're looking forward to for, for the, for the rest of the world cup. Um, okay. You know, what, what do you think's going to, you know, what do you think's going to happen knockout round stage. I mean, we're just right now at the point where we're starting to see somebody, some teams about to go through. But I mean, if you Uh had to, as Bianca Henniger would say, if you had to put a hundred dollars cash on it now, who who would be the four teams that that you think would be strong enough to be in the semis? Okay. Um, To answer that question simply, um, I have to go, go, you know, through the bracket with all the, no, don't, don't worry about the bracket. Don't worry about the bracket. But I put, I think I had, um, Australia, England, France, and Germany. Interesting. Yeah, I, I still so, feel like I didn't have the U.S. making it to the final. I didn't even have the U.S. making it to the semis. Sorry, I might be proving wrong now, but <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I I like how there are more contenders than we've had in the past, and even with the thirteen zero win over Thailand, it doesn't mean that there aren't you know more contenders for the actual final and we are very likely looking at a USA France quarterfinal in Paris you know the challenge of, of facing the host and I've seen some right. people say it's like well that should be the final they should have structured it differently it's like you can only you can only structure it so much I mean that's that's why you do the draw because you never know who's gonna outperform right. their their usual exactly. or who's gonna underperform. Um, you know, someone ends up winning the group that wasn't predicted to win the group. Um, right. You know, we've we've seen like with the men's gold cup, they always structure it so that there's no way for USA and Mexico to meet unless it's in the final. You know, because that's that's their big money game. But mm-hmm. you know, it's like it doesn't work all, always work out that way. I mean, two years ago, the final ended up being Mexico Jamaica. You know, so. Yeah, I, I don't think you can go, okay, we need to make sure the host avoids the defending champ because uh, who knows? Maybe the host has a poor tournament or the defending champ has a poor tournament. You can't, right. you, you can't control it. And, you know, we still don't know the standings for either group. Um, you know, that, that USA-Sweden match could be a nail-biter or who knows? The U.S. could totally roll over them but if it's a tie or a loss it's there's a good chance yeah. sweden wins the group and then it does then we're not meeting france exactly in, in paris so so those are your four i like i like that I like yeah that i mean and, you know a lot of it too comes down to goalkeeping i think you know we saw in the brazil game you know it came down to a difference was for brazil was the goalkeeping um yeah it was a deflection and all that but i think that you know most goalkeepers that are on the team that are going to make the semifinals would have saved that. And, you know, for the United States, um, a lot of people have been a part of the NWSL and watched, you know, listener and everybody speaks very, very, very highly of her, but, you know, this is her first major world cup and, you know, she may not have a ton of saves to make, but she's going to have to make that one or two, you know, big plays um, and, you know, really step up big and just claim that spot, you know, yeah. Next big thing. And, um, you know, I think that's a big part of it. I think uh, France obviously has, they have the whole ingredient. They have everything. Um, they have, to me, they play the best soccer in the world, you know, and if that is what <laughs> determines who wins, they will win. Um, but something happened just in me, as far as my instincts and what I've thought and felt. Um, I had England winning it um, until I heard about the, the, terrorism in Leon and 
I mean, that's always a big, a big thing, a big deal, but I just feel like this France team has had uh, chemistry and leadership issues in the past when the going gets tough. And I feel like just kind of sort of as what happened with Japan and the earthquake, women have an ability to, you know, connect to community and think about, you know, the greater good. And if these women that play for France, you know, can, can recognize that they are symbols of peace, um, you know, acceptance, equality, you name it, um, and embrace, you know, that is their cause. Um, you know, in the moment when things get tough, you're guided by, you know, a power greater than yourself that is also for that cause. And I think it can really lift them up and give them that synergy, you know, and that connection that they haven't had in the past that causes them to fall apart, you know, at the, at the moment of truth. Yeah, because you you think about 2015, you know, they tied Germany in the quarterfinal, lost on penalties. And the way you play soccer is doesn't usually translate into a penalty kick shootout. You know, the the winner of a shootout is not always the better team that played the previous 120 minutes. So, (laughs) you know, so you think about it, well, you know, France didn't lose their quarterfinal last time. They tied, but... You know, yeah, yeah. it came, came down I mean, to that they've been mental super thing. close. They have that much more experience. They have that much more chemistry. And the U.S. did have a little bit more turnover. You know, they lost a lot of experience and goals, but it sounds like they, the players enjoy themselves more now than they did four years ago. And I know four years ago, um, I think it was this time. I don't know if it, I think the Columbia game, I don't know if it was the second or the third, but, you know, the SHIT hit the fan in that game. Yeah. There's a lot that happened. Um, you know, the, the broadcasting was also very sort of negative. Um, and the U.S. was working on a lower block. So they set, they scored the goal and set back because they were just, you know, they knew they were going to need to do that. And they just, you know, gave Columbia too much space. They didn't step. So you got players like Lady Andrade and dribble around you. You know, but they came through and they, they won the game. They did what they needed to do. And I think the media just didn't have – you know, anything bad to see how the team, so they picked, you know, picked that and started questioning and, you know, the, yeah. the team handled, handled the press really well. Um, you know, and here they, you know, 1-13-0 and had, you know, negative press about them, but I guess that's just what makes people watch. If it makes more people watch, you know, these, these players are now professionals and utilizing the attention they're getting, you know, spinning it for good. And they did, Alex Morgan and, and Rapino did a perfect job with that today. Oh yeah, Perfect. well, and I'm really proud and of them. As annoying as the discussion's been for me about was the celebration right or not, you know, uh, I, I have to admit it meant that more people were were talking about it. It meant you know more trending yeah. on, on, on Twitter. So you know that that's all a good thing. So well, last question: they remembered World Cup qualifiers okay. in Vancouver, like they, they yeah, you know, no stuff. But yeah, was a good point. He said that, that you know you don't hear. You don't hear, you know, people complaining when the men do it. Yeah. So last last question for you, not related to competition so much, but you calling games and calling games in Spanish, which you know we we have to let people know is not your native language, but clearly one that uh, I guess I don't know. Did you learn from your parents? Did you just immerse yourself in? Mex- living in Mexico City, um, uh, yeah, no, you know, parents spoke Spanish when they didn't want us to know what they were talking about. <laughs> That's why they never taught us because they were totally like, you know, I studied in school for a long time, and then once I got on the team, it was like, you know, when I moved to Mexico 2006. Um, I still can't help but have an accent. I mean, I right. take classes, the more I try to sound more Mexican, I end up people say I sound fr- that I sound like I'm from France or Brazil. So it might be getting worse if I take classes, but um, I think the important part is, you know, just that I have this opportunity and that the 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 job for me is the same. It's you know to explain what's happening on the field, um, why it happened, how it happened, um, you know, to give nuggets of information based on my experiences, based on you know all the all wonderful people that I've got to meet in this business, um, you being one of them, and you know. Tomorrow I got to make it Italy, and I'll get to talk a little bit about Fidella Marley. Um, nice. I had the, ple- the pleasure of meeting um, after the 2015, uh, during uh, the 2015 qualifiers, 
uh-huh. um, you know, at a conference that, that CONCACAF had. Right. And, you know, I she has, I don't actually make the game tour because she got detained. Um, she had her passport stolen. Ouch. Um, I guess on the way, she got detained and had to say goodbye to the players, um, you know, through <laughs> gates. Uh, I might have been on the way out. So I'll send you that video. I don't know if it's with public or has been spoken about, but you know, the fact that she has, you know, godmothered this team, she's not just giving money, she's there. So right. the team is learning by her example. They have a good opportunity, I think, um, you know, to come out and surprise Italy, use their speed. Uh, they've had more camps, obviously, than they've ever had. Uh, they do have a federation that's in a little bit of trouble. Um, but the players in Fidella have always been able to, you know, keep that stuff separate. But she's always fighting behind the scenes, you know. Um, and, and I don't think it's right necessarily that the Federation puts out less or gives less because they know Fidella will pay the bill. But she right. essentially paid the entire bill. Right. Since before qualifying, which is insane. You know, $60,000 yeah. for one for one training camp for, yeah. for five days. And that... That should be that should be what the federation is paying for, but that's that's a whole other chat that you and I can have when, when you come back from Miami, because yeah. of course, because no. of course, I'm going to want more World Cup thoughts from you as the tournament well, goes I mean, on. I'll just close with this: the beauty in all of that for me is that you have a woman who could potentially be one of the women, one, one of the people with the most powerful voices. You know, she has all; she's the oldest daughter. She has all of the businesses, the music, the production, you name it. And she spends her time and her money on this team because she knows that's what her dad would have wanted because he was a footballer, but also because she knows the importance, and this is from her, of empowering women. And that these women, when empowered, are going to go and empower bundles and bundles and bundles of other women. That they are the platform for her to spread the cause that Bob Marley speaks about in all of his songs. Beautiful. You know, that's powerful. Yeah. Well, we'll end with that. That's perfect, Monica. But thank you so much for taking time to talk today. And I will definitely be chatting you up again when we're further into the World Cup. All right. Go put some Marley on, everybody. Welcome to Cass. All right. Time to wrap it up with the back four. We are in the middle of my favorite time of the quadrennial cycle, let's call it. Uh, Women's World Cup action all day, every day. That's what it feels like. So let's keep enjoying it. And while you're enjoying it, check out KeeperNotes.com for some fun Women's World Cup links and downloads. And I also highly recommend the Women's World Cup coverage provided by Equalizer Soccer, Guardian, The Athletic, uh, Pro Soccer USA, etc. The most important downloads uh, on my site, I have a printable one-page calendar of all Women's World Cup games, including broadcast info. And I've finally posted an Excel interactive schedule to tournament where you can enter scores and the group standings will automatically update. Fox Soccer also has a good app for streaming and other info. And there's always the official FIFA app, but be warned that their goal notifications may come sooner than what you're watching on TV. And then, of course, on the merch side of things, Nike, USsoccer.com, even Target and Old Navy and Academy Sports and Outdoors are getting in on the action. Uh, And I have posted a few special T-shirt designs uh, that are USA-centric at KeeperNotes.com. But if you need customization, like adding three stars to a men's jersey or getting a specific name number on a jersey or even getting a goalkeeper jersey, I suggest reaching out to the manager of Soccer for All in Houston. That's the store I used to run. Just send an email to Sean at SoccerForAll.com and tell him that Jen Cooper sent you. And that's Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at SoccerForAll.com. And that's number four. And speaking of my t-shirts, I do have a whole series of t-shirts supporting the NWSL, designs, a couple of designs for every team in the NWSL. So check out keepernotes.spreadshirt.com. For every t-shirt sold on this site, $2 will go to the NWSL Players Association. That is the union that represents the NWSL players who are not on the U.S. national team. And of course, NWSL kicks off 
this weekend, uh, or rather returns to action this weekend after a short break. So there's four games this weekend. You know where to find them. They're on Yahoo Sports, either the app or the website. I hope everybody will enjoy those games along with the Women's World Cup. It's great that none of those are those two events. They don't conflict with each other. So you can watch World Cup during the day and NWSL at night. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixo Women's Soccer Podcast. I hope everyone's enjoyed this episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks for sharing this with friends or tweeting about it. And many thanks to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's everybody's